and uh, welcome to another in our series, Spiritual Foundations. Uh, today we're going to explore Corinthians chapter 12 and we're going to look at the topic serving together. Serving together. And we'll see within this passage there's all sorts of really helpful illustrations that the Apostle Paul uses. Let's have a look initially here at 1 Corinthians 12, 12. It says this, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptised by one Spirit, so as to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free, we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Now can I suggest here, first of all, we learn this. The Holy Spirit enables us to serve. Number one, the Holy Spirit enables us to serve. You know, as it says here, we're all baptised into one spirit, uh, by one spirit, we're all given one spirit to drink. We, we have the ability to serve God effectively because His Spirit is enabling us to do it. You remember this passage in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 4, it says, For there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. In one sense, we shouldn't be in the habit of saying, oh, I could never do that. Because in one sense, actually what we need to be mindful of is that could, I, could God do that through me? Because essentially in Christian service, it's the Holy Spirit working through us. And as, as we know from Corinthians also, he imparts spiritual gifts so often. And, uh, you know, um, many of you have had that experience where God has blessed you with some spiritual gifts. I remember for myself as a, a new believer, uh, I was a, attending a church and um, I was being discipled in the journey of that discipleship. Um, we did a study on baptism and so the day came, uh, a few months after I was saved, I was baptised and shared my testimony. And I remember the pastor said, look, um, break it up like this, you know, do a couple of minutes on what life was like uh, before you became a Christian, do a couple of minutes on how you came to faith, do a couple of minutes of how your life has been transformed by God's Spirit since then. And so I spent probably went a little bit longer than six minutes, about eight minutes, but basically presented that sermon, um, which is really just a testimony, a little baptism testimony. But from that, the senior minister said to me, Lee, I, I, think, um, I think you've got a preaching gift. And uh, the, the truth was, I was as nervous as any. I can still remember standing at the pulpit, sharing my testimony, my hands were just totally shaking because I'd had no experience in public speaking, had to do it a little bit at school, did not enjoy it, was not any good at it. But suddenly when I became a Christian, God just imparted a spiritual gift. And uh, the pastor spotted it and gave me opportunity and a bit of coaching. And so a few months later, I actually it was advertised, you know, that Lee would be preaching at the church and Alex. <laughs> so Alex was one of the deacons and he was kind of there to rescue me if I got in trouble because it's the first ever sermon. Um, so I preached for about 20 minutes and then Alex just came and wrapped it up. But from that, you know, uh, even with very little coaching there from, from Kim, he just said, I think the gift's there, just preach what's on your heart, off it went. What had happened? God had just imparted a spiritual gift. Many of you have received very spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit has given. And the idea is as we cooperate with the Holy Spirit, so God's kingdom is built as we use our gifts. So God's kingdom is built. You know, let's have a look here at um, 1 Corinthians 12, 14. It says, And so the body is not made up of one part, but many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. 
And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. You know, um, various personalities, numerous backgrounds, different spiritual gifts. Can I suggest this? Number two, we are diverse in our service. We are diverse in our service. You know, um, and he's really, the Apostle Paul, he's using some humour. Apparently, I had, had a chat with a guy who knew Greek quite well, and he said, in the original text, this, this Greek passage um, is really quite funny. Paul has, is using a lot of humour in this. We don't quite capture it in our English version, but I think we, we kind of get the hang of it. You know, um, so Paul, Paul's uh, using these statements here where he says things like, um, uh, you know, the foot says, hey, look, I, I don't feel that important because I'm not a hand. You know, um, I, uh, hands are very visible things. You know, you, you kind of you, you use them when you're talking. You kind of shake hands to greet someone. Uh, today, of course, we use them to write and type and that sort of stuff. Whereas the foot, it's uh, back then in, in the first century, of course, people are wearing sandals. Feet get pretty dirty. Uh, even today, we stuff them in a sock and um, feet are known to smell and hide them away. And so Paul's using this, this idea, hey, the foot's kind of thing, oh, I'm not a hand, I'm not really that important. But let's be honest, if the hand's wanting to go pick something up, how's it going to get there? It needs the feet. In fact, travelling around, the feet are absolutely essential. And Paul's point is, this is the idea. Some of us look at some gifts and think they're important, look at other gifts and think they're not. But of course, the reality is, all the spiritual gifts are important and we only build God's kingdom as everyone's using their gifts. And he goes on with the analogy there. He says, the ear might say, oh, I'm not an eye, you know, so I, I don't feel that important. And let's be honest, you know, if, uh, if a girl's really pretty, people often comment about her beautiful eyes. If a guy's really, you know, a real, real cool looking dude, they might talk about his smoldering eyes. But how often are the ears mentioned? Not very often, are they? You know, they just don't get the same attention that the eyes do. And Paul's analogy, it's the same thing. It's the idea certain gifts get a lot of attention. Others don't, but they are equally essential. Let's be honest. When we communicate, yes, the eyes have their place. But the ears, if you can't hear what the person's saying and vice versa, communication is very difficult. Paul is emphasising how important every part is. And of course, if the body, and he kind of uses this concept too, if the body is all one big eyeball, that's not going to work very well. Or, uh, you know, whatever it might be, whatever part of the body, then it becomes exaggerated. It, it's not in balance. And, uh, you know, and we, we have those images in mind. In fact, of course, there's a program where you can blow uh, your face into all sorts of shapes and stuff on your phone. And, of course, it, it looks funny, but it's not. It looks also ridiculous and unfunctional. That's Paul's point. He's saying we need the balance in the body of Christ. Every gift being used effectively because then the body's healthy and we are effective in building the kingdom of God. You know... Um, uh, I remember as a new believer, um, the, a couple of other gifts that just seemed to be very natural for me were making disciples and evangelism. They just kind of were there, you know, and uh, didn't seem to have to work too much at it. But like any gifts, you've got to hone and develop them. But they were just kind of there. God 
gave them. Whereas, say, something like administration, I've never been good at administration. And, as, and then later in life, having to be a pastor, you've got to do a fair bit of administration. So it's never something I'm going to be strong at. I've just had to work at it. It's not a spiritual gift, just something I've got to do, you know. And most of us know that there are some things in ministry that we're good at, other things we're not so good at it. And often, I, Rick Warren, actually, um, he will often say spiritual gifts course have their places and it'd be good to do some of that as a church because you do learn more about yourself and how God's gifted you. But Rick Warren will often say, just get out and have a go at something. As you have a go at something, so you often discover spiritual gifts. Now, I realise, you know, we, we have um, a great worship director in our church and Jason, and some of you might look at, you know, as he, like he plays four instruments, drums, bass, guitars and keys, got a great voice, very gifted worship leader. And so some might look at Jason and think, oh, I wish I had Jason's gifts. You know, I wish I had those sort of gifts. But the reality is God has got a calling on each of our lives. And, you know, it's not so much, oh, I wish I was like that, wish I was like something else. Rather, we've all got that calling. Let's walk in the calling and the gifts that God has given us. But by all means, let's keep on discovering how the Lord has gifted us. You know, um, as we move on into this next passage here, um, you know, it, it has some, some interesting details. And, uh, you know, I was actually thinking this week, uh, even though when people are using their, um, their spiritual gifts, it doesn't mean everyone um, welcomes that or buys into it. And uh, certainly, you know, I'll, sometimes people don't like my preaching. I, I remember in my last church, you know, Jason had got heavily involved in the worship and we, we'd um, modernised things a lot because I'd been asked um, uh, by the, uh, the church board to how can we draw back a better number, a healthier number of people in their 30s and 40s, people with little kids, people with, with um, teenagers and that sort of thing because about 10 years before, a whole bunch of them had left the church. And so we worked towards that. And one of the things that we reshaped was, was the worship style because it had become quite conservative. And I said, well, look, if you expect that generation to come in, you know, we do need to modernise the worship. And at that time, they were often doing a couple of hymns mixed in with the choruses. And so we, we moved away from that and, um, and Jason started to lead regularly. And so it was becoming a much more modern style of worship. Most people really appreciated. But I still remember one lady, she... Uh, she um, uh, had issue with it and uh, I remember having a chat with me one day saying oh, she didn't like the direction of the worship and didn't like Jason's leading and said, you know, we're doing, uh, we, we need to bring the hymns back. Everyone's upset. We need hymns. You know, we need to have at least one hymn every week. She's very demanding about it all. And she said, oh, look, we're going to have like 70 people, 70. She had, had a number in her head. 70 people are going to leave the church if you, you know, if you don't put the hymns back. And I listened to her and we talked about it, but I said, look, this is the vision and this is the direction why we're going. And, um, you know, uh, that's, you know, I believe, we believe this is right, you know, because we talked about it at a membership level. We've been quite thorough in the communication process. She wasn't a member, so she wasn't at that membership meeting. But anyway, uh, so she did what she said. She left the church. I don't think anyone else did. That 70 people was something she'd imagined. Um, and she looked around at some other churches because I knew her sister who still went to the church and uh, she was kind of telling me how she was going and she just found some of the conservative churches weren't friendly and she ended up in a church that's, that was um, more contemporary, loud music, and, but she knew some people there so she settled there because 
she couldn't find friends in the other places she visited. And it's just, it's just interesting, that journey. So well, I share that story simply to say, although, you know, um, we're reading here all about body life and stuff, um, diversity, because we are diverse in our service, but diversity does not mean everyone gets their way. In fact, really, if everyone gets their way, ultimately, no one does. So we didn't shift because we had that one individual who didn't like the direction of our worship, but rather we kept on with the vision. Uh, looking here at this next passage, uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 12, 21 says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker and indispensable and the parts that we think are less honourable, we treat with special honour. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the parts that lacked it. So there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Can I suggest this? Number three, we need each other as we serve. Number three, we need each other as we serve. You know, I can remember um, uh, one of the analysis um, moments in uh, my church at Narry Warren Baptist uh, was... Um, we realised 65% of our, our folk were involved in service. They were serving in some way. And many of them would comment about the fellowship and the relationship and the sense of purpose they got through serving together. And, uh, I mean, that was a lot of people too because it was a, a fairly big church. I think we, attendance-wise, over the three services, were around about the 500 mark. But then, you know, you usually get two-thirds of your people there at any given Sunday, so the church had a total of more around the 750 mark, perhaps perhaps 800 if you included the people who only came occasionally. But there was that serving culture. And in the journey of that serving culture, many people found what it was to be close and form relationships because they're working in teams. Um, you see, when you get separated, it's not a good thing. I remember uh, a guy who had uh, recently become a Christian. We'd done an outreach at the church and we'd had... Um, a bunch of people have made decisions for Christ and afterwards we followed up with some alpha tables, three alpha tables in this occasion. And at my table there was about five people who had made a decision at that particular outreach and who were just new to the Christian faith and exploring it. And I had this other guy too that was there, as well as a few Christians, who was, he'd become a Christian not at that outreach but not long before. And in the journey of talking to him, he was from a, a quite a strong occultic background, so big adjustment, Christianity for him. And, but he was, he was really enjoying the Alpha course, seemed to be growing a lot from it. I even did a bit of one-on-one -on -one discipleship with him, a short, short six-week course with him. Uh, but then he just got it into his head, and I mean, I, I could see the evil one was operating here. Got it into his head, he needed to explore spirituality by himself. Now, fine to do some personal research, but he, he meant alone he didn't need a church and because you know he got things so wrong when he was in the occult and he thought perhaps i just need to go on this journey myself and of course we as christians know we need the body we need the body life we need to serve together and he was starting to separate and in the journey of that then started to come up with this weird theology like one one time i'm chatting with him he said you know blood is huge in the occult blood sacrifice and stuff and so it shouldn't be in christianity 
And so he's thinking this, it can't be right about Jesus dying on the cross, his blood bringing salvation by, by faith in him, but his spilt blood, of course, we read in the scriptures, is a reason that his life given for us, that sacrifice, makes salvation possible. And he's questioning big things like that because he's moving away, just separated by himself. You know, we need the body. The body needs to be together. Um, I, I think of a Bible study group that started in the 1800s. And they thought they'd discovered a very powerful new truth, the Bible leader and a few of the others. And as they were reading passages in the Bible that said, um, we need to celebrate the name of the Lord or we need to worship the name of the Lord. And, um, and when they're reading that, they're thinking, well, what is the name of the Lord? And the word L-O-R-D that they were, were was in the translation, they realised, oh, uh, that is actually Jehovah. And these translations have left out the word Jehovah and translated it, Lord, that's wrong. We need to bring Jehovah back into the Bible. And so that, that became a huge thing. And um, they were arguing these points and then they started to think, hey, it's wrong about the Holy Spirit. You know, this idea tr of the Trinity. That, that's not in the, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. The Holy Spirit's not a person. It's just like uh, the electricity of God, that God zaps them and they're healed. You know, it's like energy. It's not a person. And then they went on to think about Jesus. Well, he's not God. He's the son of God, but he's not, he's, not the, he's not God himself. And so they did not believe in the deity of Christ. And they kept on debating this stuff. And the mainstream churches, of course, did not believe what they were saying is true. And as they debated more, they separated more to the point where they believed they had the truth, but no other Christian movement had it. They call themselves today the Jehovah's Witnesses and are considered a cult by mainstream churches. But it all started because they separated from the body of Christ and thought that they had discovered a new truth that they were determined was going to be something that they could not compromise on. You know, it's just uh, it's interesting how these things start. Let's have a look at another passage here, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not from yourselves it is a gift of God not by works so no one can boast for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do now even though today um, I'm talking a lot about service I want to be clear that um, unlike movements in the dark ages that thought we earn our way to heaven through our good works through our acts of service of course that passage makes it clear that is not the case it's by grace we have been saved through faith. Grace is God's unmerited favour. And faith, of course, is placing our trust in Jesus Christ as the one who has died on the cross for our sins. As the one who his blood has been spilled, we have placed our faith in Jesus. Salvation is possible because of that. But we don't earn our way to heaven because of the good things we do. It's our faith in Jesus that saves us. Having said that, though, the passage, of course, went on to say these words, and I'll read them again. It states, good works which God has prepared in advance for us to do. God has good works for us to do. He's got a plan for us. Can I suggest this? Number four, God has prepared areas of service for us. God has prepared areas of service for us. And what I'd say to people, if you're thinking, well, I'm not sure what that is, Lee. I'd always say, absolutely, just pray about it. Ask the Lord to give you guidance. But I'm always willing to slip out for a coffee and, and just talk about life 
And in the journey I found so often in conversation when people are thinking, I wonder where God wants me to serve, just out of conversation, so often uh, people start to discover where they may be gifted. And often other people see your gifts more than you will see them. And so in the journey of conversation and asking, so often clarity comes. But God's got a plan for you. Remember that. He has a plan of how he wants you to serve. He has good works that, that are prepared for you to fulfill. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13 says this. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. You see there are a bunch of spiritual gifts, or some people call them officers, um, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. I mean, sometimes it's referred to as the fivefold gift ministry. I always find that an interesting phrase, though, because I know in the original Greek, it's actually four words, not five. It's, it, the pastors, teachers one, that's actually one Greek word, but it has both meanings. We don't actually have an equivalent word in our language, so we've just broken it up and said pastors and teachers as um, two distinct gifts, but really it's the one word. Um, friends, I, I learned from that, though, that main thing there in the passage. It says that these guys with those gifts, various gifts, they're not just to do the ministry themselves, that's part of it, but it says they're to equip God's people. They're actually to help others develop in those very areas. Can I suggest this? Number five, we should equip each other to serve. We should equip each other to serve. Now, I'd always say to anyone heading up a ministry area, it might be a ministry department, always be thinking in terms of who can you equip and who can you bring into your team? Who can you build up? Who, what other people uh, can also grow in the very area of gifting that you are a part of? You know, it says in Ephesians 4.16, same sort of body analogy that uh, the Apostle Paul is talking about in Corinthians. It says, From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Same idea, isn't it? Every ligament holds these various parts of the body together. So it is with the body of Christ. As we work together in the Lord's service, you know, things are built, the kingdom of God is extended. Local churches become more effective. Let's just recap on what we've been talking about today. Five points. Number one, the Holy Spirit enables us to serve. Two, we are diverse in our service. Three, we need each other as we serve. Four, God has prepared areas of service for us. And five, we should equip each other to serve. Now, let me just ask you the question as uh, you're listening to this message today, you know. If you're not involved at this point in any sort of ministry in the church, if you're not serving, would you pray? And would you also talk about it with members of the church? Like I said, I'm happy to catch up with people and personally chat. Pray and talk about how you could serve in the various ministries of the church. Let me pray for you now. Father, I do pray today as we've looked at this very important spiritual foundation of Christian service as we serve together, Lord, as we endeavour to do your work and uh, walk in the plan that you have for us, as we've learned today, as we discover that and as we live that out, we pray so we might discover good fellowship, we might discover those 
healthy, loving relationships. And as we build your kingdom together, Father, may we discover spiritual gifts that we have. May we discover the purpose we, you have for us. Guide us into your calling. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And for his glory and his kingdom. Amen.